Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Welcome, everybody, to Revolution. Always glad to see your lovely faces, see some new faces. Um, man, getting ready to have another child, which is not supposed to be till June, but we're kind of trying to prepare because it seems like it could happen a little bit faster. So that's a weird life being a parent. Um, it's Mother's Day, so uh, if your mother's around, I hope you called her. Um, mother's Day is weird when you've lost your mother, you know. It's just like, but it's great because I have a wife and I have a child, and so we took her out. We went out for breakfast today and and have a great time. But it's still weird. It's like one of those things where you're just like, it's weird not to have a mom, but so many of us don't. And uh, this is a strange holiday. So thinking about those out there who don't have their moms with them and still celebrating my mother's life, her, one of her favorite verses was, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And she used to always say that to me. She's like, no weapon. You know, and she always pled the blood of Jesus over everything and told the devil to go to hell. And <laughs> she was quite a woman. And... Uh, so today I was always thinking about, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Yeah, so. There's a lot of weapons. But it is strange. Uh, speaking of no weapons formed against me shall prosper, it was strange. Uh, when you see your president at Liberty University. But I mean, I'm not surprised at all. Like, not, like just not even. It's just, that is what it is. It is what it is, but it's wild what, what uh, I guess they're all practicing radical acceptance and grace. <laughs> I wish they would have shown some of us here the same amount of grace, Amen. you know, we could use it. Um, so basically, if you become president, then they'll, they'll shower you with the blood of Jesus, maybe, and forget your sins. Well, and not accept so many other people. That's the thing. If I can see if it was a bunch of really crazy inclusionists and evangelicals were like, oh, we just love everybody, you know, and we love our president, you know, you'd be like, oh, okay, these guys are just radical grace hounds, you know. But when they're like, we don't like you, 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 or if you're a pastor and you did anything remotely to what this guy did, we wouldn't have you speak ever. Um, I have a personal thing with, the, with, with Jerry Falwell, so I won't get too into it. Um, we have history together. Yeah, he's a tender lover. He's a big, big, big bear. No. I met him once, and I was surprised how giant of a man he was. Um, yeah, just stature and weight. Anyhow, 
that's a great way to start the sermon, to talk about Brother Falwell. God rest his soul. Um, I have been... I haven't been reading as much lately, and you know, sometimes when you don't read as much lately, it's been strange to see how where my sermons have gone and where my thoughts have gone uh, towards the Bible when I'm not in the midst of like reading constantly and thinking when I'm like, oh, I've got to pick up my son from school. Oh, I've got to go do this. Oh, I've got to you know make sure this happens. You know, oh, I've got a new house. We got to move. And so, what happens? And it's been kind of interesting to see that I keep coming back to um, Jesus and Jesus' stories and some of his his um, his parables, but then now just today one of his stories. But it's uh, interesting to see. So I hope you all stick with me while I'm going through this strange period of feeling like maybe no deep theological study, but studying what Christ said and what Christ did um, is an interesting place to be. Trust me, if it was up to me, we would just go, we'd be the church of Galatia, and we would just go through Galatians for the rest of eternity. Of course, then you guys wouldn't be here and I'd be in an empty room. I think some of you might stay two rounds of Galatians at most. (laughs) Um... Today I wanted to talk about the woman at the well and some of the things that we might not think about when we read the story. Now this is something that I believe actually happened. So it's not a Jesus telling a story. So when I say story, I mean just an account. Um, these books were written a lot later, so we don't know how accurate the account is, but I'm sure, you know, when they when they when they seems to be pretty true of Jesus, and uh, they were pretty good at verbally passing down stories, not like we are today, it wasn't like a game of telephone. My son has a book, and it's like, pass, pass it on, you know, and the story's like, the cow's stuck in the, you know, the mud, and by the end, it's like, the cow's rich and has tons of money, you know, and <laughs> all the animals are coming for honey, one's coming for honey, one's coming for money, one's, you know. Because when you tell things over and over again, it, they, you know, you know, telephone. Did you ever play that in school? It was to teach us not to gossip, you guys. <laughs> so you're at church, so I'll say gossip is bad. Um, so I'll just go ahead and start. John 4. Um, I'm going to start at 3. He left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, uh, near the pilot ground of Jacob's had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried out. And Jesus, tired out by the journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. Now, what we're talking about, these, these things here seem insignificant, but they, some of them are significant. Some could get a lot more out of the Jacob's well part, but I'm not going to get into that today. But the fact that he had to, it said he had to go through Samaria is something that's very important to pay attention to because Samarians and Jews did not see eye to eye. They did not get along. 
they were uh, Jews would have looked about down on Samaritans. Yeah, I mean it's you know not a not a not a welcome ground. Matter of fact, instead of going to Samaria, usually if you were they would be walking back to Jerusalem, they would have walked around. Most Jews would have walked around Samaria and not gone through and taken the long way home. And um, but and it's interesting because there was a, there is also a story where they're not where the disciples go into Samaria and they're not welcome there. So. It's, it's, it's very interesting, but this says he had to go through Samaria. So I, I think that's an important thing to, to realize is that it was one of the things where Jesus was like, no, we're going to go through here, because I'm sure the disciples were like, this is probably not the best idea. Let's just take the normal walk around. You know, it might take a day or this. You know? And Jesus was like, no, we're going to go through here. We've got to go. Now, it's about noon. That's another important aspect of the story that it's in the afternoon. Well, why? Well, let's look at it for more. Here in 7 it says, A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, Jew, you a Jew, ask, to drink, ask a drink of me, a woman, a Samaritan? And it says in little parentheses, Jesus, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who that it was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and, we, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and with his sons? And his flock drank from it. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. I'm sorry. Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up for eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never thirst or have to keep coming here to draw water. It's interesting, she's very literalist um, (laughs) about the water. And Jesus is using his parables again. And uh, he always seems to stumble up literalist. Like he just, you know, Jesus, you knew there were going to be literalists. Why did you have to not? Why can't you just be a little bit more, a little less vague sometimes? Um, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. The woman answered to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband. For for the one you have now is not your husband. And then she said, Oh, wait, I have not a husband. For you have had five husbands, he says. And the one that you have now is not your husband. And she goes, What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Okay, so here you start to see this is the differences. We worship here on this mountain. You say you worship in Jerusalem. You see this a lot with denominations. You see this a lot with you know 
Christians going, no, it's best if you pray this way or if you dunk them. No, you got to sprinkle, you baptize, you know. And churches split over this stuff, and it is the most annoying, barring thing in the world. And Jesus is going, okay, this is, Jesus says to her, you know, well, basically he says, there's going to, trust me, the time's coming when it doesn't matter where you pray. This is, this is all, this is, this is done. That time is, the time of these sacred places is over. You know? And to me, I think that's really great because we make idols out of what we think are sacred things. You know, I was talking to somebody and they were saying how they have relatives that are living in Jerusalem. And they're like, oh, they're about to build, rebuild the temple. I can feel it. I know the temple's about to go up, you know. And there's people trying to have a birth a red calf, you know. They're like raising money to have a red calf be birthed so that they can push the arm of God to come back, you know, because they take everything so literally. There's a literal, you know. And, uh, and then they'll think, you know, she's saying, and it's funny because he said it for years about the temple and then it doesn't get rebuilt and then he just goes back and says, oh, it's going to be rebuilt. It's gonna, you know, it's all these... It's, it's, it's a tough place to be when you're a literalist. You have to learn how to do a lot of uh, gymnastics uh, with, your, with your belief system. Well, go on to say, Jesus said to the woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him with spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who is you are speaking to you. Jesus, then his disciples came. Well, let's get into that in a second. So, a lot's happening right here. Um, Jesus is saying, let me tell you about what I've come to do. I've come to change things. You say you worship here, you say I worship here. But I say it doesn't matter where you worship. It's how you worship. You know, in spirit and truth. And uh, for you know, it's strange for me because growing up in the conservative church, words like uh, repent were scary words, and sometimes even the word truth was scary because they would be like, "This it's a hard truth." You know, you just this is the truth, and you're just going to have to accept it. You know, there's no honey with this truth. You know, and you would just be like, "Ugh." You know, anytime the pastor's like, you're not going to like what I'm about to say, you're like, oh, man, I'm not. You know, but uh, I'm a piece of shit, so go ahead. I mean, that's kind of how it felt. And uh, so truth to me was even sometimes a scary word, and that's sad to me that that was that way because it doesn't seem that way anymore. Um, what is truth? <laughs> um, but it goes on. So, so Jesus is, is explaining this whole thing about what's about to happen. And, um, and he tells her who he is. Now, if you continue to read, Jesus goes and goes, heals people and says, don't tell anybody who I am, don't do this. Don't. And Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to very few people. He reveals himself to this Samaritan woman. Now, 
why is this matter? It matters for so many reasons. And I have to believe the people who were first reading this story or telling this story to each other were just like, what? A Samaritan? A woman Samaritan? A woman Samaritan who had five husbands and wasn't, you know, I mean, just been like, what? They're just jaw-dropping, like, this is crazy. And, then, and he said he was Christ to her, you know, I mean, this was a mind-boggling boggling thing. This wasn't something that people just grew up with and go, oh, yeah, the woman at the well, I've got a painting of that. You know, I grew up in the house where Jesus is standing at the well with this woman. And I think they combined it because I think he has a rock in his hand too, so it was the you without sin and the woman at the well. So, you know, artistic rendering. <laughs> Took two, yeah, no, Jesus was very white in the picture, and the girl was too. Um, it was huge. Matter of fact, I ended up getting it, and I gave it to this artist who repaints things and puts kind of weird sayings on them. Um, so, yeah, I re-gifted it. But I also think it was a, also a monthly gift you could get from PTL for a donation, so... <laughs> Which is really tough when you get that for Christmas. You're like, Dad, this is, this is the monthly gift. Come on. This is the monthly love gift. I didn't give anything. I don't deserve this. Um, yeah, Radical Grace. When I lived in New York, I lived right next to a Salvation Army, and I would get gifts from my dad, and it would be like the end of the world kits and stuff, and I would just be like, all right, I'll take this survival knife and axe, and then the rest of this I'll give away. Um, and they had these, came, these food came in pots, you know, and so I, I literally had a pot to piss in. So it was, living in New York, that's a rare thing. Um, that was my sidetrack comedy hour. Um, so Jesus is talking to this woman, the Samaritan woman. Um, he's talking to a woman, which Jesus did a lot. It seemed that Jesus saw the equality there. Talk, Jesus is talking to a non-Jew. He is the Messiah. This is a huge thing because often we think about when G- Gentiles were reached, it was all through Paul and that Jesus did not wasn't moved by Gentiles, but Jesus was moved by Gentiles. Matter of fact, even when Jesus rejected a Gentile, the Gentile spoke out to him and said, well, wait a second, even dogs eat crumbs from the table. And Jesus goes, oh, your faith has made you... Even Jesus repented. Even Jesus had a moment of kind of being a jerk and then going, oh, I've been moved with compassion. That's a pretty amazing thing. That's the humanity of Christ a lot of us just don't hear about. Because everybody's like, oh, Jesus was sinless. I'm like, well, maybe in our ideas of what sin is, but not in the ideas of what the peoples of the day was. I mean, him sitting with the Samaritan woman, him going to Matthew's house, him, you know, there, he was, would be seen unclean, ceremonially unclean to the religious people of the time. And whether you don't, you might not want to call that sin, but that's what sin was. <laughs> Anyhow, the great, another great interesting thing of this is so Jesus tells this woman no you've had five husbands and you're not you know you think wow is Jesus like is he like shaming her for having so many partners you know because it kind of feels that way and I'm guessing and this would be the idea is that this woman more than likely was unable to bear children and so should she have a husband and wasn't able to provide a family 
they would give her a letter of divorce and she would be just divorced. That's all they had to do. Just walk up and give her this thing and say, we're not together anymore because you can't provide children and that's why we're married. It's because I want to have big property and I want to build, you know, I need, I need children to work the fields and till the land and do all these things. And so more than likely, this wasn't some woman who was just really hard to live with. You know, or she was like, I'm just sex crazy and I just marry young men all the time. You know, because there's so much, like, I've heard the word slut shame, which I think is a really bizarre word because it says slut. And, it, and then shame. And, you know, it's like, well, that's kind of a weird way to put it. Um, nobody feel that way, that that's a strange word? Um, an oxymoron? Um, but, you know, it seems like that's what Jesus is doing. But more what's happening is Jesus is probably saying, you've been seen as not providing a use. The only use you provide is maybe that the man you live with now who who knows what that situation is, but you've been seen as, as having no value. Another interesting thing. They're getting the water at noon. Um, this is something that most of the Samaritans would probably go as a community together, you know, and get their water in the morning and go together and say, you know, as a community, let's go to Jacob's well, let's socialize, let's get our water, carry our water back, have a conversation, things like this. But this woman's in New Orleans in the afternoon and she's going by herself. So she's probably also seen by her fellow human beings, her fellow community, as someone who, well, you know, she can't have children you know, reproduction is a huge part of, of, our, of our life, you know, because if we don't reproduce, we die. And we, these people were dying in their 30s and 40s. You know, they, you know, I would be very old man to some of them. And uh, so she's going in the afternoon. No, wow, going in the afternoon. Like, so, so why, you know, she's... Uh, and so I, I started thinking about the shame that she must have felt. Um, because there was often, she knew she wasn't welcome in certain parts of the community for certain events in the community. Um, she, you know, to think that she probably was not able to have children was probably something that was uh, sad for her and shameful. Now, not that it should be shameful, but I'm thinking that that's how she felt. Um, middle of the day, not being able to have children, and I started thinking about shame. And shame is something that I particularly deal with in my own life. Um, I think we all may have times of it where we, you know, and sometimes shame is, is, is not a bad thing, but sometimes shame comes in and, and stills and kills and destroys all of our peace and all of our, all of our life, and it becomes an irrational thing. So I looked up, it's interesting if you Google shame, first comes a movie called Shame. <laughs> But um, is it? Yeah. But then the then the dictionary meanings for shame start to come up, and I think it's an interesting read uh, to read some of these these things. And so I just wrote down some of the ideas of what shame is: uh, guilt, regret, sadness, embarrassment, mortification, which is one of my favorites, uh, humiliation. And another one, uh, another person, a psychiatrist wrote, it's a hidden emotion that can sabotage our life. Unworthy. 
And I know for me personally, dealing with shame, if I felt like I didn't add up or I wasn't a good husband or I'm not a good pastor or I'm not this, you know, or I can't figure this out, I wanted to die. I wanted to take my life and just be done with it because I would be so full of shame that I would think I'm not worth, you know, I'm hurting people being alive. I'm not worthy of living. I'm not worthy of, of, I'm not, you know, I'll, it would maybe be better if I wasn't here. And so I empathize with the woman at the well for this very thing, is someone who might feel like they didn't belong. So obviously she's heard about the Messiah. And who but the Messiah has come to her and said, I'm here. Now remember when he's, we, earlier we read he had to go through Samaria? So he had to go through, he had to sit with this woman, he had to tell her all about her, and then he had to say, by the way, I'm the Messiah. That's an amazing thing. Because we often think, well, who am I? I'm just so-and-so, and I've done all this sh- crap, or I'm not worth anything, and I didn't, you know, who, who, you know, can God use me, or can anybody care about me? And here's probably someone who had those thoughts a lot and felt like a useless human being that wasn't good for much, and all of a sudden, this is what happens. The Son of God says, I'm going to come and reveal myself to you. That's pretty amazing. I think it should be pretty amazing for some of us who, who, who live in life of shame or feel hopeless or things like that at times to realize that, you know, if Christ is who Christ claims to be and that's who Christ reaches out to, that's good news. If that's what Christ feels like Christ has to do, if that's what the Son of God feels like that's what I have to do, this is the person I have to reach, that's good news. Because grace is an enemy of shame. It just it does goes over it. Um, so you've got this. You've got this beautiful moment of this woman who's been felt like worthless, felt like she didn't belong, and Christ is going, "Here I am." This is a moment of beautiful grace. It's not mercy. It's just grace in its most powerful way of just. Like a, it's just like opening up a curtain and sunshine coming through. It's just a powerful moment of hope. A powerful moment of saying, well, guess what? You are worth something. And uh, you are important. So it goes on to say, and this is, I like this part too. Just then the disciples came and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said anything. <laughs> I love the fact that the disciples are astonished that Jesus is talking to a woman. And I love the fact that it got put in the Bible that the disciples were <laughs> probably like, should we put this in here, that whole thing about Jesus at the well with the woman? I, mean, I don't know. You know. <laughs> Even the disciples were astonished by it. You know? Do you think people will be able to, to accept it? And... Uh, so here come the disciples and they're going, why is he with this woman? Now usually people are going to him, why are you with your disciples? Why are you hanging out with these people? Because they're tax collectors, 
you know, they're, they're, they have different, ba- not all tax collectors, but fishermen and tax collectors and uh, uh, what was the one guy who would want to kill a tax collector? A zealot. a zealot. Yes, thank you. We had a zealot. You know, we had all these different guys, you know. But at this time, I guess they were getting comfortable and they're like, yeah, we're Jesus' crew. What's up, you know? And then all of a sudden, like, Jesus is with a woman alone at the well? Yeah, this was something that people would have been shocked by. And a Samaritan woman at that? And if they'd only known her history, oh my goodness. And this is and Jesus has been like, I'm Jesus, I'm the Messiah. And she gets it. Now these twelve sharp tools of the shed, half the time don't know who Jesus is. You know, half the time they're like, I mean, when Jesus is ascending into heaven, they go, Surely that was the Son of God. I mean, Jesus is floating ghost man spirit, you know. At that point, I'm, I'm probably going to believe it. <laughs> That'll seal the deal. Once the man's floating into the sky, yeah, all right, that was Jesus. Um, surely that was the Son of God. I don't know. Um, but these guys were always kind of debating, not sure what was going on. And this woman, her faith is, 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 is amazing. So he's speaking to this woman. What do you want? Uh, but no one said anything. What do you want, or why are you speaking to this woman? Then the woman left her... Okay, hold on, I'm going to read that again. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot, he cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. So she goes down, someone who's an outcast amongst a group of people who've been told they're outcasts, and she goes, come see this man who, who just might be the Messiah. You know, and people come. And to me, that's a pretty amazing thing that this is the woman that he goes, walks through, and this is the person he picks in Samaria to go be his spokesperson. Not the disciples, you know. He doesn't walk in and do some miracle, you know, like water into wine, or, you know, you all have gold fillings in your teeth now. <laughs> you laugh and bark like dogs. Yeah, Jesus didn't do any of that. He finds a woman who feels, who's barren, who feels probably lots of shame, feels a life of unworthiness, and says, you're the one. You're the one I want to go. To me, that's good news. To me, that can sum up the gospel in a lot of ways. And I wish it would wake us all up a bit. I wish that type of talk would help us realize how amazing grace truly is and how God is not this exclusive, you know, tyrant, but someone of conclusion and great love. Meanwhile, the disciples were, using, were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. 
So the disciples said to one another, I mean, these guys, really, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Now, this is also to me another beautiful moment here because growing up in the church, you hear a lot of people like, you know, I just need to get fed. And they mean spiritually. And they I just need to go to church and get fed, you know. I just need to read this book and get fed. I just need, you know, to be fed and, and, and just get the word of the Lord, you know. And I don't really get fed there, so I stopped going, you know. And Jesus' idea of being fed is bringing hope to the hopeless. Jesus' idea is making the worthless feel worthy. That's where he gets fed. Not from like sitting down and like, hey, John the Baptist, can you like kick a sermon for me, man? Because I am hungry. I need some, <laughs> I need a spiritual meal, you know. No, the, the hope came, the, the, that feeding, the life the, that came from that was some, giving someone worth, allowing someone to feel worth who felt worthless. You know, saying you might feel embarrassment, but you don't have to be embarrassed anymore. You might be mortified or humiliated, but you don't have to be humiliated anymore. I know everything about you, and it doesn't matter. And that's what he's saying. I know everything about you. He's not saying, I'm here to shame you, and you've had five husbands, and that makes you a whore. He's not saying that. He's saying, I know everything about you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you, where you've been, what you've, how you feel about, about yourself. It doesn't matter that you feel like an outcast. It doesn't matter where you worship anymore. It doesn't matter where you do any of this stuff. That just All that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is you. You matter. You're the one. You're the one I'm coming to say, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, you matter. And Jesus is telling his disciples, this is how I get fed. This is where I feel complete. This is where my nourishment comes from. And Jesus says a lot of things like this. You know, and we often think of, well, Jesus fed the poor, and Jesus healed the sick, and Jesus cared about the least of them. Um, but sometimes I think we forget that Jesus cared about people, too, who just, did, who just felt outcasted. Jesus cared enough about people just to say, I love you, you're worthwhile, none of this matters. To me, that's kind of a beautiful, that, I mean, not, not kind of, that is a beautiful thing. Something I wish we all could grasp more and more every day. Something I wish I could grasp more, you know? Because I think this is something that the conservatives miss, and I think it's something that the liberals miss. I think both sides miss this. The beauty of grace. Because people are afraid of grace. Because they're either afraid it's a license to do whatever you want, or it's a license to do nothing at all. So the liberals are afraid that, you know, well, if you talk about grace too much, you're not going to go out and feed the poor. And the conservatives are like, if you talk about grace too much, you're going to go out and smoke and party and have a good time, <laughs> you know? And it's this weird thing where grace is, becomes this amount of tension, you know? 
because I've heard my liberal friends complain a little bit about the Lutherans, like, oh, them and their, they're just so grace-orientated that they don't do anything, you know. And it's funny to me that there's, there's, I'm like, man, I was so lack of grace that I just, I wanted to die. I was starving to death. I was, I felt like God hated me. If there's a group of people that feel like God loves them so much that they can just be, you know, maybe that's not such a horrible thing. Anyway. But I think grace is transformative. And I think it transforms those even who don't know and understand who and what God and Christ is. Goes on to say, um, I tell you to look around and see how the fields are ripe and the harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sorrow and so that sorrow here and saying holds for the here is saying holds true. One who sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So sometimes other people have sown the seeds. He's saying, you know, we don't always sow the seeds. Sometimes we reap other seeds. Sometimes we help people or we bring the truth or love that someone else planted. Um, But that's not my... I'm going to go on. I'm not focusing on that today because I want to focus on this part here. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything. I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his words. They said to the woman, now this is the funny thing, I think, this is the snooty part of some of the Samaritans. They said to the woman, um, it's no longer because of what you said (laughs) that we believe, for we have heard for our own selves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Now, I don't think it's meant to be snotty. I just think it's the way it's worded. Um, but they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you... But, but it said many Samaritans in 39 from the city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They went up. They went up to Jesus. They believed Jesus. Then they saw Jesus, and then they felt confirmed that Jesus was who he claimed to be by their experience but it was all through this woman at the well. Um, To me, this story is right up there with the one that's actually not in the earliest transcripts is the woman caught in the midst of adultery and the ye without sin cast the first stone. But uh, this story is, is up there with, with that because it just has so many truths of the Jesus just saying, there is no uh, rejecting social norms, rejecting social standards, rejecting a hierarchy. You know, all that is covered in this story, and there's a beauty in that of come as you are. I could try to, you know, there's just the beauty of, of you know Jesus. Coast, you know, feels that you know shame is not something that's a worthwhile experience for us, and so he takes the person who has the shame, the person who doesn't goes to the well alone, 
and says, I'm Jesus, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one you're waiting for. So here it is, you know. I mean, just think about this in your own life as if you're at your job or you're out about and someone comes along and it's the Son of God and they decide to tell you (laughs) that they're the Son of God. (laughs) And they tell you a few things about you and maybe tell you some of the things of the things that you feel shame about or don't feel complete over and things like that and then say, you know, and you go, well, I'm just waiting for the Messiah to come one day and then they go, I'm the one. The one everybody's been waiting for. Yeah, you know, the truth comes to the Jews but I'm coming to you. Not only am I saying that I'm the Christ to you but I'm also saying it doesn't matter where you worship anymore. I've just destroyed all your prejudices and all the all the differences within us tore those all down theologically just dropped the bomb and I've chosen you to do that you're the one you know I would be like so no one's unworthy no one's worthless not Samaritans not Samaritans who can't have birth, <laughs> can't have children. You know, None of us in our own predicaments are worthless in the eyes of God. Unfortunately, that doesn't always ring true in the life that we live every day or how others see us. And uh, I think that's why faith is so important to some of us finding that acceptance. Uh, Accepting that we are accepted is such a hard thing to do. And that's something we talk a lot about here at Revolution is learning to accept that you are accepted. Um, By that which is greater than you, as Paul Tillich said. Uh, Paul Tillich said, you may not understand what it is and you don't need to understand, but just know that you are accepted. And that self-acceptance often helps us to accept and love others. So, uh, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't see outcasts. Uh, Jesus sees opportunities to be fed. Jesus sees an opportunity to touch someone's life and heal them and heal a community through them. Man, that to me is good news. So I hope you take that with you this week and you can think about that a little bit more because it's got me excited. That's why I'm not shutting up because I want everybody to be excited about it. So what I'm trying to say is... No, that's it. Um, Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening online. Um, I'm going to say a quick prayer and... Also pass the hat, and um, we're a nonprofit. This is how we pay the rent, um, but we'd rather have you than your money. So if you can give, great. If you can't, that's fine too. Um, but we just pass the hat here. So why I pray? It's a little sweaty. I apologize. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your. Uh, 
Thanks for the example. Uh, help us, each one of us, to learn that acceptance that you so freely give, that inclusion that you so freely include in us. Help us to find some peace in that. May we have the, the understanding to understand it. May we have the wisdom to grow in it. And may we have the love to share it. Amen.